Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I know it's a lot earlier of a game time than we're used to, but thanks all for joining us for the July edition of Strike Out the Stigma, presented by Kate Law Offices. We're honored to have you all here in person. We've been doing this for a little while now, but it's great to have everybody here in person rather than Zoom. Uh, my name is TJ Farrell. I'm filling in for our normal host, Scott Palmer, who is in turn filling in for Dan Baker. So Dan, if you're watching this, we're thinking of you and we can't wait to have you back down here at the ballpark. The topic for the July Strike Out the Stigma is the relationship between our mental health and our diet. And I think that's a very important distinction that we make is that they are connected at the hip pretty much. That there is a correlation between a healthy mental health and healthy diet as well. Uh, we have a fantastic panel with us today, so we're going to greet them now, and they're going to introduce themselves a little bit. So we'll start with the person on the far right, your far left. We have from Minding Your Mind, a local nonprofit, we have Scott Prendergast. So Scott, if you could tell our guests a little bit about who you are and what you do for Minding Your Mind. Absolutely. Well, thank you, TJ, for having me here today, and I'm thankful that everybody's here to be here as well. I think this is a great opportunity for us to shed some light on some really important topics. So my name is Scott Prendergast. I'm a speaker with Minding Your Mind, and at Minding Your Mind, look, we have a very simple goal, but it's very important. We want to work on lessening the stigma surrounding mental health in young adults, teens, and youth, and we found the best way we're able to do that is by having speakers such as myself come into middle schools, high schools, colleges, community events like this, and just kind of share our own personal experience in dealing with mental health as a way to help spread awareness. So that's what I do, and that's what Minding Your Mind as a whole is our whole entire goal. So thank you for having me, TJ. Welcome back, Scott. Happy to have you back. So a special part of this Strike Out the Stigma is that it correlates with the Philly Summer of Giving presented by The Giant Company. We have another special guest on our panel today, Shana Schultz from Giant. Shana, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for being part of the Philly Summer of Giving presented by the Giant Company. Can you explain a little bit to our guests about who you are and what your role is at Giant? Sure. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a great opportunity to be here. As a dietitian with the Giant Company, we work a little bit with both our associates as well as our customers. My role is more customer-based, and I do a lot of online classes, and those classes are anything from helping folks manage their diabetes and high cholesterol to um, helping you learn new cooking recipes and things of that nature. We have classes for all ages, uh, kids and adults, so it's just a really great time and a great way to connect with our customers on a health and diet level. All right, thank you, Shana. And our last member of our panel is Dr. Tracy Oliver from Villanova University School of Nursing. Tracy, thank you for joining us today. Can you explain a little bit to our guests who you are and what you do for Villanova? Sure, thank you, TJ, for having me, and thank you, everybody, for joining. I'm Tracy Oliver. I'm a faculty member at Villanova University and the Fitzpatrick College of Nursing. I am a fellow registered dietitian, and my role at Villanova is teaching, primarily teaching the nutrition classes to our nursing students. Um, so I primarily teach sophomore-level nursing students uh, the importance of nutrition and a healthy diet, mostly for themselves, but also for their future patients. And I also have a lot of non-majors who elect to take my course, which I'm always excited about. They're athletes or just students who are interested in learning a little bit more about nutrition. 
In addition to my faculty role, I also conduct research, and one of my areas of research is reducing weight bias and obesity stigma among healthcare providers. Um, so there's a lot of stigma around uh, persons with a higher body weight, and I try to educate providers to um, consider some of the discrimination that they might have experienced and ultimately be able to provide equal and um, non-discriminatory care. So thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So that is our panel for the day. Again, we are very blessed and thankful to have them here. But that is not to mean that they are the only ones speaking today. If something that they say sparks something that you want to ask a follow-up question, feel free to raise your hand and we'll get to you as soon as possible. We welcome a safe space here at Strike Out the Stigma. So Scott, you've been on the panel a couple times. We'll give you the first question since you're the veteran here. Uh, this question reads, how important is it to have a healthy self-image, especially for some of our younger guests in attendance? I love that question, TJ, and I think personally, and with a lot of people I talk to, self-image is really at the core of everything that we do. If we have a good self-image, we feel good about who we are and our perception, we're going to maybe take more chances, we're going to be more confident, we're going to step out of our comfort zone, we're going to find ourselves doing things to have a greater impact in our lives. And I think especially when you're younger, this really comes into play. Now, as we know, when we're younger, you know, the prefrontal cortex, which is so responsible for a lot of the decision-making and things that we're doing, isn't fully developed. So sometimes when we're younger, we might have to work a little bit harder to work on that self-image, to say, hey, what can I do today to feel better about myself? What people can I surround myself with that are going to help me to boost my confidence? And how I view myself when I look back at myself in the mirror. And I think once we kind of tackle that, and once we get a, a hold of that, on the inside out, it's going to make a really big difference for us, and it's going to be something that's going to help our overall mental health so that we don't fall down into that trap of that negative self-talk, that negative self-thinking, and get to the point where we could become, you know, finding that anxiety taking over and ultimately turning into depression. So especially for the younger ones, a positive self-image and working towards that, because again, it's a process, is one of the most important and best things we can do. Absolutely. Now, Tracy, we're going to jump to the other side of the table here. Our next question reads, what modifications in behavior or science can we look out for in others when it comes to diet or food nutrition? This is a great question, and one of the roles I actually had prior to working at Villanova was working in, um, in research, both at the University of Pennsylvania and Temple University. And um, when I was working in, in research, it was mostly with uh, patients who were trying to lose weight, so weight management and weight loss. And we framed it in the context of behavior modification and worked with like a lot, a lot of psychologists who trained us in this behavior, behavior modification strategy. And when you talk about behavior, um, what comes to mind for me is there is a lot of um, media images and such about diet culture, right? Fad diets, diet culture, it bombards us on a daily basis. And a lot of what diet culture and a lot of these fad diets teach us are, right, good and bad foods or do this and don't do that. And it, it really polarizes eating behaviors. And I think um, when we fall into some of those traps, it can get to be a very slippery slope. So one of the things that we taught patients with behavior modification was sort of expect slip ups sometimes. Diet is not something that's expected to be perfect. It's expected to promote health and overall well-being. And I think when we fall into the trap of polarizing foods, it inherently makes us feel, oh, well, I ate one of those 
bad food, so then I'm inherently making a bad choice or I'm a bad person. And sort of what Scott was talking about, it starts that negative spiraling. So when you start to see uh, people who are really restrictive in their diet, um, avoiding certain foods completely, uh, doing it sort of obsessively, I think that those are some of the um, behaviors that we would worry about um, when we sort of think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Shayna, our next question is a fantastic question that I want to read word for word so I don't get it wrong. When life feels busy and our schedules are jam-packed, how can we find time to make healthy nutrition a priority? I think that's a great question, especially the priority part, because sometimes it gets swept under the rug or pushed to the side. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Wonderful question. Um, I know the feeling myself. I'm a mom as well. And so um, life can get really crazy and hectic sometimes, you know, juggling work and home and, and all of that. So um, the biggest recommendation that I usually tell people is that nutrition and diet doesn't have to be overwhelming, right? We don't have to look at it as this huge thing that we have to tackle overnight because it's, it's not going to happen overnight. We need to be realistic with our goals and so to start small. So just making um, certain small things a priority once a week, whether that be um, this week I'm going to make sure I have breakfast two times a week or this week I'm not going to have a soda this day or this week I'm going to have the kids help me make the grocery list so we can get the whole family involved and also just sneak little things in there when we can that fits with our lifestyle because at the end of the day that's what diet really is. It is a lifestyle change and so forth so we have to incorporate it into our day to day and make it realistic with how we live our lives and I think that that can be a great way to then put it as a, a priority because we're just slipping it in as we can and not thinking of it as a very overwhelming daunting task. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I love how you said incorporating the family and that, that kind of leads into our next question. That's for Tracy. But if anyone else has something to say on this, feel free to jump in. Um, so, Tracy, it is sometimes difficult for people, regardless of age, to talk about insecurities regarding their weight. It's a tough topic to talk about, and sometimes people may feel awkward. Sometimes people may feel uncomfortable going to their parents if they're a young age student or a child. How can we help reduce that stigma that surrounds the topic of weight insecurity? Yeah, again, this is a great question, and, and this is where I do some research um, with um, educating providers. I work a lot with providers, so nursing students, nurse practitioner students, um, about how to have that conversation with their patients, maybe in their office. 
um, it's very difficult for any of us to think about, oh, I don't really want to talk about my weight, right? Nobody really wants to talk about this. Um, but one of the things that I really strive to educate our providers on, um, one simple thing is just asking permission, right? Is it okay if we talk about your weight at this visit? Um, is it okay if we have a conversation about this? Um, in some patients, that might be the opening for that door for them to start to make some of these behavior changes and steps in the right direction. Um, other people aren't ready to have that conversation yet, and at least that provider has made that step, um, and that's okay. It's just not their time. The door hasn't closed, um, but they know that that opportunity might be there for the future. Now, Tracy, both you and Shana have mentioned the word guilt and feeling guilty in your answer so far. Shana, this next question's for you. There can be an immense stress and guilt when it comes to those food insecurities. What can those people who are feeling guilty now or have felt guilty in the past and held on to that guilt, or maybe they're just a little stressed in the moment when it comes to food insecurities, due to increase their positive mental health? Sure, I think that we would need to think of a couple of things. Number one, Tracy had mentioned it a little bit ago, that there's no such thing as, as good foods and bad foods. So kind of breaking down those barriers and, and knowing to yourself that what I'm eating isn't necessarily bad and so forth, I think that that kind of helps knock down that stigma a little bit. Um, also to know that you're not alone, right? A lot of folks are feeling the same way that you do about, about various things in your life, including diet and weight and so forth. So knowing that you're not alone and, and getting to that point that Tracy mentioned that you do feel comfortable talking to somebody about it, whether it be a provider or a friend or a group, for instance. Um, the classes that I mentioned that we do, uh, the dietitian does with the giant company, they're all online, they're all anonymous, nobody knows who you are. So as I'm teaching classes about weight or diabetes or even a healthy cooking class, people are engaging and feeling in that group or that family together um, without necessarily having to be right out in the open. And I think that that has really helped um, the mental health for a lot of people that, that join us for those. So just knowing that you're not alone, I think would be the biggest step. Yeah, absolutely. Mental health comes in all shapes, all sizes. There's no real definition to it. Everybody can experience it at any time. So thank you, Shana. Um, if this has sparked any questions from the crowd, feel free to raise your hand and we'll get to you now. Otherwise, we'll put Scott back on the hot seat. He's been quiet for a little bit, so we'll get you back up here, Scott. Um, the question reads, and it's a topic that we've talked about every time that you've been on the panel, it's social media. Everybody has social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can't even name all of them these days. <laughs> But how can social media and other technologies impact our mental health, specifically for the teenagers who are watching or in the crowd today? If so, what are some suggestions on how you can disconnect from social media from time to time? I love this question, TJ, because it's so prevalent in our society today. And not just for younger kids, but for everybody too. I mean, whether you're 60 years old and keeping up with the grandkids, or whether you're 10 years old and checking out who's in your class for next year. I mean, this is something we all relate to. Now, here's the thing with social media. It really fosters an environment of comparison. You know, whether we want to admit it or not, every time we're scrolling, every time we're opening a story, we're comparing ourselves. Sometimes subconsciously, but we're doing that. So I'm looking at the Instagram feed and, you know, so-and-so got accepted to Princeton and maybe I didn't. Or so-and-so has a new boyfriend or girlfriend and a new job. And whether we're happy for them or not, and what our response is going to be is we're going to compare. Well, maybe I'm better than that, maybe I'm not. And we start to really get into this cycle, which is dangerous. Because inevitably, over time, when we continue to compare, at some point, 
we're going to start to harbor feelings of whether that be resentment, inferiority, or that we're just not good enough in general. And the more that we let these feelings foster, you know what's going to happen over time? It's going to take up more and more of our mind, more and more of our thinking, and we'll start to spiral into that real anxious space. And if we don't check this anxiety, we don't get help for it over time, that anxiety, it can lead to depression. And that's not something that we want to, you know, that's a very difficult process, and we don't want to fall into that. And there's plenty of help to get out of that. But if we can get it at the source and stop that comparison, I think that's a great thing. And one of the ways to do that, especially for younger ones, but for everybody, is to learn to set boundaries and to set limits when it comes to social media. I know how easy it can be when you're off of work and you, you want to say, oh, I want to see what's going on with the world. I want to scroll through here, see who's doing what. And I think that's healthy. That's a good way to stay connected. But we've got to set those mental boundaries. Say, hey, you know what? It's going to be 15 minutes and that's it. Or I've reached a limit, I feel myself getting angry, I'm stopping now, I'm stepping away. And we've got to become self-aware of that, because when we do that, then we're not letting social media and comparison rule our lives, but rather we're kind of you know, saying that we're in control of this, as opposed to social media taking over us. So setting those limits, setting those boundaries, however you're comfortable with doing that, because again, it's different for everybody, is really, really important. And Scott, if we could have you expand on that a little bit just off of your personal story, because you've told your personal story so many times on our panels before. If you wouldn't mind sharing it one more time with our group and just how you overcame your struggles, especially that social media wasn't as much of a prevalent source of trouble in, when you were struggling. But if you could go over your struggles and how you overcame them, because people look to you as a role model, as someone who's speaking in front of these schools every day for 6,000 people sometimes. I appreciate that for you for saying that, TJ. Thank you. And just to give a little recap on my own story, I de dealt with depression for years. Um, and it was something that for a long time I ignored. I said, no, that can't happen to me. That's not Scott. That's for other people. That's not my story. And it got to the point where this depression got so bad that I remember I had a time where I was in the middle of Broad Street down at Broad and Patterson. And I remember I looked at this little advertisement and I said, man, you know, something's got to change in my life because if I don't do something now, I'm afraid about what might happen to me. And I remember at that moment, I called my mom. That was my go-to person, and we just talked. But you see, that was the first time in my life that I talked about depression. That was the first time in the six years that I had dealt with it that I finally let somebody know about what I was feeling. And it was at that moment that I always like to say I accepted the first invitation, so to speak, to my recovery process to realize that as a man, it is okay to talk about these things. And as a millennial, I guess some would say, it is also okay to talk about these things. You know, I don't get extra points for keeping it inside. And for me, I just want to share that story with other people to let them know that it is okay to bring this stuff up. And it is okay to struggle, but there is better days ahead. And life gets better. And there is that light. Sometimes we just got to do a little work to find that out. And that's something I talk about more in depth, too, when I'm speaking. Thanks, Scott. A very powerful story. Um, Tracy, Scott mentioned his mom and how his mom was a go-to person in his life. I feel like we all need that go-to person in our life, someone that we can look to when we're in a time of need. If you see one of your friends or family members who might be struggling, how can you encourage them to come to you as a source of help and without necessarily overstepping your boundaries? 
Yeah, this is a tricky topic, right? Because it's sometimes that fine line towards being intrusive and being helpful. So it is really a delicate balance. Um, I think, you know, and I'll speak from my teaching with the students. I often have students come up to me and, and share their struggles and, and share some of the um, issues that they're going through regarding diet. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I have seen is I have already established with them in many cases that I'm a safe person and I'm not going to judge them, that they're coming to me just to ask some questions maybe, and that is perfectly fine. Um, I find students come time and time again. Um, you know, or other times, you know, I have reached out to students and, and maybe just said, you know, it seems like you do a lot of physical activity. Activity. I'm wondering if you're nourishing your body enough. You know, if I see a cure, I might see a sign. And again, it has to be really delicate because I don't want to overstep my role in any way. So I keep it from a place of nourishment. Um, I'm worried you're not nourishing your body enough. Is there a way that we can um, explore um, more food options for you? But it is a really delicate line. And I think if you focus on, again, I like to use that word nourishment. So it doesn't sound like diet. <laughs> um, I think that sounds like a safer place. Absolutely. Yeah. And you just discussed a little bit what a, you inform other people or whether you advise as a Villanova employee. Um, this question was originally for Scott, but I would love to hear an answer from all three of you if possible. From a personal standpoint, what is something that you three do in your daily lives to help you live out a healthy lifestyle? It should be a go-to thing whenever you're struggling or whatever you think that uh, you may be a little stressed. What is something that you do in your daily lives? And Scott, we'll let you take the first answer here. Absolutely. I love that question, TJ. I think it's a great one. I'm curious to see what all of our answers are. So for me, I've always been a big proponent of something called positive coping skills. I'm sure many of us know what these are, but if not, essentially a coping skill is a positive skill, strategy, or tool that we use to help us manage some of those stressful and difficult emotions and situations that we might have going on in our lives. Now for me, I came up with a little bit of an original term that I think is more descriptive for all of us. And I call this term emergency joys. I know it sounds a little bit weird, but bear with me here. Here's what emergency joy is. They are those two or three positive coping skills that every single one of us in this room have right now, and that's watching has right now, that we hold on to and rely on when we're having one of those days where we feel like we're just in a really bad place. And when you're having one of those days where it feels really dark out and you're feeling really insecure and you're feeling like life's never going to get better, okay, it's on days like that, moments like that, that we reach into our back pockets, so to speak, and we pull out these little emergency joys. And you know what they do for us in those moments? They don't make our problems go away. They don't make everything okay. But what they do is they give us a little bit of hope for that moment. And my friends, when we have hope in our lives, that's when we're more likely to seek out the proper help. And when we seek out help, that's when we learn how to properly heal. And so emergency joys are kind of that catalyst that bring that hope into our lives to help us get on the right path to seeking out that help and that recovery process. So for me, my emergency joys, super simple. Ready for this? Number one is watching, shout out to Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld every night before I go to bed. That's my favorite thing. That's my unwind show. Number two is just listening to my favorite music. And number three for me is just eating my favorite breakfast. And for college, in college, that meant eating honey bunches of oats every single morning. Simple things, very simple, but all of those things gave me a little bit of hope for that day and a little bit of something to just hold on to to get me through some of those difficult times. Shana? 
Yeah, I, I can give an example of, of one of these emergency joys. I, I like he, how you put it that way. Um, and I would say mine is really just going outside for a walk. Like when I, I'm in front of my computer most of the day or I'm on my phone, like talking about disconnecting earlier, that is a way for me to just kind of push stress aside for a while. I, I do like a mile and a half loop in the sunshine and it just, I'm not on my phone, I'm not on my computer, I'm not thinking about everything that's going right or going wrong for that day and that's just something that really helps me um, just have a little bit of a moment for myself. Um, so for me I would say, you know, one of the things that I do, um, well first let me say, be kind to yourself. And then what I'm gonna follow that up with and say, I love to be a planner, right? I love to have everything planned and like to you know, figure out the meals for the week and, and all of this. <laughs> um, you know, I really just like to feel sort of organized in control, but I'm gonna go back to that be kind to yourself because life is hard and it doesn't always follow the plan. And I think you know, being able to forgive yourself and say, you know what, I had a great dinner planned, but it's not happening. I would love to sit here and say, my three kids can eat nothing but vegetables. They want more vegetables than I could give them, but it wouldn't be true. <laughs> so I think you know, striving to you know, accomplish your goals, but also being kind to yourself when you realize that for that day, you might just fall short and that's okay. Tomorrow's a new day and we, you know, we can kick it off and try again. Thank you all three for your answers there. Shana, we're gonna come back to you in regards to your company, the Giant Company, who again is so gracious to be a part of our Philly Summer of Giving this year and every year. Uh, what are some steps that Giant has done as a company to not only increase healthy nutrition and the healthy lifestyle for its employees, such as you, but also its customers, all of us who are Phillies fans that shop at Giant? Yeah, so health and wellness is one of our pillars at Giant. It's something that is very important to us and we have top of mind in, in all of our discussion, all of our future planning and so forth. And our goal is really to be a resource for all of our customers as well as associates too. And a resource in the way that we help make health and nutrition a little bit easier for you as well as more affordable for you as well. So we're currently, you know, running a bunch of different promotions and offers to make those, um, you know, quote unquote, healthier foods, your produce, things like that, seem um, more attainable for, for anybody and everybody. And then uh, we also have a system within our stores called Guiding Stars, and it's a way to help nutrition seem a little less intimidating. So for example, you're in the cereal aisle and you're like, which is a good cereal? There's so many different options and, and so forth. We have a system where on the shelf tags, it'll have a star, one, two, or three. And it helps you see that this is a good choice, this is a better choice, this is an excellent choice. So we're really just trying to implement different tools within our store to help guide you along the way and make things a little bit easier for you as you shop. Thank you guys so much for all your answers here and all your openness. Um, we end every Strike Out the Stigma with the same question, but before I do, I want to make sure, does anybody have any questions from the crowd that they'd like to ask? If not, we'll head to our, oh yes, go ahead. Tracy, any good um, resources to recommend, websites that people could go to, because that's generally somebody's first thought when they want to learn more, where do I go, and they go online. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So as a registered dietitian, one of the organization that provides information for both professionals as well as the public is eatright.org. Um, again, they have many public-facing resources available, whether it's to learn about vegetarian nutrition or nutrition for children. Um, they have a variety of topics. The other thing that they have also is if you wanted to seek the counsel of a dietitian, you can simply put in your zip code and it could show you which dietitians might be near you and potentially seeing clients and what their area of expertise would be. Um, I'm sure there's a million more, but I think that that's a really good first start stepping stone. Um, the other thing I'll just say I like about it is um, being a registered dietitian is a credentialed profession, and I think sometimes when you Google search nutrition, you can really um, find some interesting things that might not be evidence-based or safe. So I would really default people to, if you can find a professional with that RD or RDN credential, again, registered dietitian nutritionist, um, they're going to be the persons that you would want to seek counsel from. Thank you. Great question. Anyone else? Okay, so let's head to our last question here. As we end every strike out the stigma, we like to end it with a call to action. So Scott, we'll start with you because you've been through this before. The call to action is how can we as a community come together to spread awareness of mental health and remove the stigma specifically around food insecurities? Yeah, that's a great question, TJ, and I love that we end every time with this because it's so important. And, you know, we could talk about these things all day, but if we're not doing anything about it, then, you know, what has been gained, right? we got to take that action step. So I think one of the most important things, especially when it comes to food insecurity and the tying that with mental health, is just creating a space where people feel comfortable to talk about these things. You know, realizing, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with talking about this. There's nothing wrong with struggling with this. It's okay. It's all right to talk about these things. And whether you're in a position as your parent, letting that be known to your kids or whether you're a kid and letting that be known to your friends, whoever it might be, but just finding ways and creative ways sometimes to talk about these things and foster an environment where people can feel comfortable to bring up stuff that they might be insecure about. So if we do that, I think we're taking a great first step to just lessening the stigma, specifically when it comes to food insecurity and mental health and the tying between the two. Shana? Yeah, I would 100% agree. Starting to establish those those safe spaces, I think, is is a great first step. And then within those first, um, excuse me, within those safe spaces, developing that idea of realism of you know what really works for you, for your family, for your community to get towards those goals that you're working for. And Tracy, final word. Yeah, I know as a dietitian, people always come up to me and ask, uh, what's the best diet to follow, right? I, I can't end a conversation without that being a piece of it. And my follow-up to that is, to me, a diet has a beginning and end. Um, what I would rather somebody focus on is their lifestyle. So thinking about how to promote their health through diet, um, the best diet is the diet that works for them. It doesn't end and it, it speaks to their entire lifestyle. So all those small changes and things that you can do indefinitely are the things that are going to work best for you. Thank you. Well, we have a long way to go in terms of spreading mental health awareness and removing the stigma around it. Um, but I think we have come a long way, and it's your graciousness and your ability to give up a half hour of your time on a Sunday morning to spread your knowledge and spread all your insight to these people here and at home. We really appreciate it. So if we give them a round of applause, because they were a great panel.
And thank you all for attending today. Go Phils. We need a win today, so let's go get a win. Enjoy the game, everybody.